Well, we all believe in something. This morning when I get out of bed, I believed some things automatically. One, that there was water in the taps and that the TV would work. When I came to church, I believed that people would be driving on the right side of the road. I actually believed that there would be some people at church when I got here. These beliefs are based on past experiences. It has happened before and it will happen again. We all have hope for the future, but hope is really based on what has happened to people in the past and we translate that, our, that into our future. Real hope is always based on knowledge, knowledge that has proved to be correct. Today we're looking at the last part of Thessalonians from 4.13 on to the end, all through chapter 5. And we are thinking about hoping for Jesus' return and how to, li- how to live while we wait for his return. The first section is about why we have hope for Jesus to return. I just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together to hear your word read. We thank you that it, it lights our life. It opens our hearts. We pray, Lord, that through your spirit you will guide us into knowledge and truth and understanding that we may um, follow you in all parts of our life. Help us, Heavenly Father, to hear your word this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul starts this part of Thessalonians. Brothers, verse 13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Paul infers that there are two sets of people, one lot who are ignorant and have no hope, and the Thessalonians whom Paul says don't have to be like that. In the ancient world at that time, the common belief was that the body died and the spirit reluctantly left the body never to return, and so there is never any hope of reunion. They are gone forever. Will they see loved ones who have died? Well, according to the common belief, no. But Paul says they don't have to be like that. Paul here is trying to address the difference between those who have died in Christ and those who are alive in Christ at his coming. He calls those who have died those who have fallen asleep. And according to Paul, the end game is the same for all those in Christ, whether asleep or alive. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the Lord forever. Why does Paul have this hope? How is it possible not to be ignorant about something that we have no real experience about? Unlike the common belief of the day, Paul's belief was based on the experience of Jesus, an actual event in history. Paul explicitly says that Jesus died and rose. Brothers, verse 13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul says they have hope because they have knowledge. Notice that it is only those who are in Christ, those that have fallen asleep in him and the dead in Christ, that have this hope. Paul was an eyewitness to the fact of Jesus' resurrection. 
Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. So Paul says those who have fallen asleep will rise and appear once again, just as Jesus had. Not only had Paul seen the risen Lord, but Jesus told him that this was what was going to happen. It says in verse 14 again, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, according to the Lord's own words. How much more explicit can Paul get? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Our hope is not based on our experience, but on the work of another. We, as people, humanly speaking, cannot see past death. It is the great divide, yet Paul says that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Paul also seems to be emphasising that it is a bodily resurrection. Three times he uses the word fallen asleep, 1 verse 13, verse 14 and verse 15. And then in verse 17 he says that the dead and the alive will be together with the Lord forever. Our grief is not a hopeless grief, but one of hope and final resolution about those who have died in Christ. Two things to notice in verses 15 and 17. God is totally fair, for we are going to meet him in the air along with those who have fallen asleep. And so on, no one can say they got there first. Notice it says, after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Paul, I think, is emphasising that there will be no disadvantage for those who have died before Christ returns. Both the living and the dead will meet the Lord in the air on his return. And we notice too in verse 17 that it is ever, forever. And so we will be with the Lord forever. There will be no longer any separation. This would come as great comfort to those who had a wrong view of death. And surely we are included in this reuniting of Christian friends, a meeting with him who has saved us, along with all Christian brothers and sisters. That's why we can be sure about Jesus' return. And if Jesus is returning, then we need to be ready. In chapter 5, Paul gives us three pictures to encourage us to be ready. We wait. The first picture Paul uses to encourage us to be ready in waiting is of a thief. Verse 1 of chapter 5, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Paul, in these verses, says the Lord is surely coming, but he is coming like a thief in the night. There is no date. Ever heard of a thief who announces his date of arrival or sends an email saying, I'll be there in a week? No, they come at any time, mostly at night. I think this is what... I think this might be the only time in the New Testament that Paul says that I have no idea. That was a bit of a surprise. Do you know anyone who has ever whacked a rock on the lectern. The whack on the lectern came like a thief in the night, didn't it? 
So you were in the dark. You didn't know that it was going to happen. This is what it will be like when Jesus, Jesus comes again. For some, it will be a shock. Peace and safety is what we have, and yet destruction comes so suddenly. Look what happened in Christchurch. How much different their lives would have been that day if they knew what was to occur. The second image Paul uses to encourage us to be ready is of a pregnant woman. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they, no, they will not escape. Verse 3. Paul says we are, to be, we are to be like that with Jesus' return. We know that he is coming, but not when. Over the uh, last three or four months, I'm not sure which, I've had two grandchildren born to me uh, by two daughters. And, of course, you've got no idea when they're coming. So we make all these plans about what we're going to do. Um, Deirdre and I were planning to go, and Barry and Lynn were planning to go to Vanuatu. Couldn't go around the time of pregnancy. We couldn't go on holidays. Oh, sorry, in the time of uh, conception. Couldn't go on holidays. So we had to plan things and work things out. And I'm sure that uh, everybody has that sort of thing happening in their lives. They, they need planning. Things need planning and things need thought. You see, we need to be ready, just like with the pregnancies, we needed to be ready. So it is with Jesus' return, our lives should be affected by his coming. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled, verse 6. Everything we, should, we, everything we do should be affected by Jesus' second coming. Do you plan your life around this coming event? I think we should, and Paul thought the Thessalonians should. Verse 4, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of light and sons of day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Paul says we're not in the dark. There will be no surprises for us. You know Jesus is coming. As a matter of fact, you are sons of the day. I remember actually uh, I went on a camping trip uh, once and I went to sleep by the fire. It was middle of winter and uh, a bullet went off in the fire and I slept through it. All the blokes around me were jumping up and down and hoping there weren't more, but apparently I just went to sleep. I was right near the fire, but I didn't hear a thing. Now, if it was daylight, I would have heard it. I would have known what was going on. But because it was night, I didn't know. We're people of the light and of the day. We do know what's going on about Jesus' return. So how do we use this daylight that God has given us while we wait? In verse 6 and 8, Paul tells us that we must be alert and self-controlled. Let's read it. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation 
as a helmet? How do we put on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet? I think this is the third image that Paul uses us to encourage us to be ready. It's a soldier on guard. Perhaps Paul had in mind a guard or a sentry, sentry, someone like, say, the secret service that protect the American president. They are seen by all. I think we all know what they look like. Everyone knows why they are there. They are prepared for the task. They are dressed for action. They believe in the task that they're given. Are we like them, strong and brave to face any foe that comes? Do people notice that you stand for something, that you have faith in the future no matter what, that your hope is real and in, in, the, in face of the death and that you, don't, and that you wait with confidence about the future? Remember it is said in chapter 4, verse 17, whether awake or asleep, we will be with the Lord. In chapter 5, verse 11, Paul says to the Thessalonians, encourage one another. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as, in fact, you were doing. And remember, that's what he also said in 4, 4, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We have hope in the face of death. We have hope in the future. We know that things will be better one day. How much better able are we who know the ultimate future to bring joy and hope to each other in the face of the troubles of this world? Each of us has a responsibility of care for one another. This should mark us out as people of light. This should lead us, this leads us to what we do while we are waiting for the Lord's return. Well, we know that we must wait for Jesus' return with diligence and self-control. But what do we actually do? Well, we, are reminded by, we were reminded by Owen and by what Wayne mentioned in the first sermon that the Thessalonians turned away from idols and served God, waiting for his son from heaven. But what does it mean for us for waiting, to wait for Jesus' return? Do we just sit around waiting and do nothing? Last week, Owen explained to us what this would look like to the outside world. In um, verse 11 of chapter 4, how we are to work with our hands, mind your own business, and win the respect of others. But in the rest of this passage, Paul tells us how to wait for Jesus' return, and it's not about sitting around doing nothing in our church. It seems that Paul is keen on hard work, or at least notice that, hard, that hard-working pastors are to be respected. Paul says, those in fact who admonish you and are over you, you are to hold them in the highest regard because of their work. Verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. And verse 13. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace peace with each other. Secondly, notice that all the brothers are to admonish one another. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. You see, it's not just the pastor's work, 
it would seem to be the work of all in the church. Now, there are some very important hurdles to jump here. Our attitude has to be right while we're doing this work of service. Live in service. Be kind. In verse 14, there are four things that Paul encourages us to do while we wait for Jesus' return. Warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Remember we talked about encouragement and how Paul wanted them to encourage each other? Well, this is one way of doing that. This is not a way of telling people what they need to hear from someone who's got it all together. This is a mutual thing to be done. How? By being kind to each other. It's not a payback thing. So we must do all those things in verse 14 by applying verse 15 to our own lives. Verse 15 says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always tries to be kind, always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. The lazy cannot encourage the lazy to work, but neither can an unkind or arrogant person. What is your reason for admonishing people? Is it to look good or feel superior? It is important, it is so important to live at peace with one another. Remember, while waiting for Jesus' return, we must set an example for all. And we do that with joy. Verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I have lost a daughter. Greg and Ange have a very sick daughter. And many other people have great difficulties in life. So what are we to make of this? Be joyful always. Well, first it says what it says, and we should believe it. We of all people know that there is an end to this cursed world, and while we wait, there is great joy and peace in trusting God. Praying continually is surely part of living joyfully and being thankful. It does not mean that our emotions are not present, but they should not override the fact that God is coming back with Jesus to fulfil all our hopes. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. You know, there are no images of Jesus skipping down the road with a big smile on his face while carrying his cross. And so it is with us. We have inner joy and thankfulness in all circumstances because we know what Jesus has in store for us. Thessalonians has been a great book to look at. We have seen a good church at work in a sinful world. We read how encouraging they were to Paul and how Paul has encouraged them to live with hope, working hard at everything, being joyful, praying continually, praying continually, for this is God's will in Christ. Paul called on the Thessalonians to admonish, admonish one another, but in verse 19 he says, don't put out the fire. Verse 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. The last command Paul gives in this section is about testing what we hear, making sure that prophets or people who claim to be prophets are speaking the, speaking the truth. 
because nothing distracts us from being ready for Jesus to return like crazy prophets telling crazy things about Jesus' return. Now, I've said some things today. Is anyone going to think about them and really try and find out whether what I say is true? You can do that by reading the Bible and seeing whether other places agree with what I say. And if it's true, hold on to it and use it, but check it out. Let's keep the fire stoked with joy and thankfulness, helpfulness, patience and encouragements of all kind. So what about you? Are you waiting for Jesus' return? Are you trusting in his death so that you can be confident that when he returns, you will go to be with him? Do you wait well with purpose? Do you help the weak? Do you encourage other people at church? Are you patient with those people who are a bit prickly? Do you test everything against the Bible? Do you hold on to all that is good? Is God sanctifying you through good works? Will you be blameless at the end? God is faithful, so let us be faithful. Let's be a church who is waiting well for Jesus to return so that when he comes back, we will be ready.